0: Well, amen, we have sung about the creator God who we cast our crowns down before. We crown him with many crowns. We've sung about the cross and we thanked him for it. We've sung about his promises that are true and we hold on to them. And we concluded with our returning king, waiting for him, our hearts longing for him in the meantime. Because waiting isn't the same thing as doing nothing. Waiting isn't the same thing as being idle, so as we wait, we live on mission, and as we wait, we grow in holiness, and we can't do that apart from God's word, so let's continue this morning by turning to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, as we continue in this series, Faith of Our Fathers, we're going to be looking at the very last verse of chapter 16, and then reading into chapter 17, as you turn in there, I have a question for you. Have you ever been on hold? Have you ever waited on the phone at the mercy of whoever you're trying to get through to? It could be the worst, can't it? And they always give you that terrible music to listen to. And even if a song does come on that you enjoy, then the operator comes on and tells you your wait time and ruins it. You get transferred somewhere else, and they said, Oh, that's not where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be here, and you wait longer and longer, and then your call gets dropped, and you start all over again. But Abram, where we're picking up in this series, has been waiting on hold. He thought that he was going to get through by last week, as we saw, taking matters into his own hands, but he's still now listening. He's been listening to Kenny G for a very long time on hold, and he's wondering if God is ever going to come through and answer him. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 16 and following, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me, be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of the multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make... You into nations and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you and throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant. To God be to you, to your offspring after you, and I will give you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's thank him for it this morning. Oh, our God, we are so grateful for your word. We are thankful for it. We ask your blessing on it this morning. Without your Holy Spirit, I'm just a man talking up here, so I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth Take your truth and plant it deeply into our hearts, and may he show us beautiful things in your law this morning, and may we be changed, may we be saved, and may we be more like Jesus as a result, and we ask all these things in his name, amen. Chapter six ends with the fruit of taking matters into their own hands with the birth of Ishmael. We're told that Abram at this point is 86 years old. Last week, we saw that he had been waiting along with his wife, Sarai, for the promise of a son for 10 long years. And at this point, they thought they had had it, but they'll soon find out they were wrong. And as chapter 17 opens, it tells us that Abram is now 99 years old. He's been waiting for 24 years to see this promise fulfilled. And there actually is no record between chapters 16 and 17, those 13 long years that God ever shows up and speaks to Abram and Sarai during that time. So as far as we know, this could be 13 years of not hearing from God at all, 13 years of waiting on hold. Many of you are here this morning and you're waiting on hold. As we talked about waiting last week, several of you came up and talked to me about how God has you in a waiting period, as you're waiting upon a wayward son or daughter, as you're waiting upon hearing results, some kind of answer from the chronic pain that you're having in your health, as you're waiting upon the mundane job looking for God to bring about something you enjoy waiting on a sinful spouse, a hard marriage that seems like a lot more downs than it seems ups, financial strains that are squeezing you under the pressure and you feel like, I don't know if I can wait anymore. Others are still waiting on that Amazon package to arrive as well. I say that one because you might be out there thinking, none of those things are really where I'm at. But it isn't about just the big waiting It's about the mundane times. It's about the small things. And if you're not waiting now, there will be a point in the future that you are. Abram is in that spot waiting, not knowing what to do, but he's going to hear a voice on the line for the first time in a long time. Our passage last week challenged us to not waste our waiting by taking matters into our own hands. We saw the consequences that came from us going, I can figure this out, I can work it out, I can do this in my own strength. In our text today, I want to suggest to you exactly how do you not waste your waiting? How do you grow in the midst of the waiting? Or better yet, how does God desire to grow you in your waiting? And first of all, God is growing or desires to grow you to give you a bigger picture of himself. To give you a bigger picture of himself, God shows up to Abram and he uses a name of himself that he hasn't used up until this point. And it's the name that God would use the to the patriarchs to bolster them up, to encourage them when they are having, when they are facing dire circumstances, it seems like everything's out of control. He shows up and uses the Hebrew word El Shaddai. And the best that we can translate that into English is God Almighty. He shows up to Abram and he gives him this name. When it seems like things are impossible, God acts in his majestic power and his might. When everything seems disastrous, El Shaddai shows up and he says, In my power, I can do anything. The second time that God actually uses this name is with Jacob, the grandson of Abram. After he had just wrestled with God, God uses this very name just before he changes Jacob's name into Israel. So here we have Abram, and God is referring to himself as the God Almighty on the brink of changing Abram's name as well. God was working, though, on Abram all the time to show him that his view of him was small and that it needed to be expanded. Genesis 15, verse 5 is talking about this covenant. Check this. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Do you catch what God did? He took Abram outside. In a sense saying, Abram, you can't see beyond this eight foot tent that you're in. Your view of me needs to be expanded. So he took him out to the night sky and said, all of these stars that you see, so shall your offspring be. And some of us in this room have a very small view of God. We don't see him as El Shaddai, the God that can accomplish anything. We're standing underneath an eight-foot ceiling of fluorescent lights, and that's the extent of what we see God. We need a bigger vision of God, believing that he can accomplish anything anything. But it's not that God actually gets bigger in your life. He is huge. He's as big as it gets. And so he doesn't grow. He always remains the same. But what happens is as you grow in him, you start to see God in a bigger way than you did before. It's like when you see that iceberg that's out in the water, and all you see is the very tip You know, but there is all kinds of things that you can't see that go down on beyond that huge iceberg when we only see the tip of it. So God is calling you. He's saying, oh, come explore the height and the depths and the riches of God that you can't see, and come have a bigger version of me. C.S. Lewis, in his great series, The Chronicles of Narnia, tells us about a time where little Lucy, a child, comes and sees Aslan for the first time in quite some time. Now, Aslan is a lion who represents Jesus himself. When Lucy says to him, Aslan, you're bigger, and he says, I'm not bigger. It's that you are older. She says, are you sure that you're not bigger? He says, I am not But every year that you grow, you will find me to be bigger. This is what God is saying. As you grow in me, as you trust me, and you walk with me daily, my size, my power, you'll see it increase in your life. How does this happen? By diving into God's word, by getting to know God, by exploring and mining the great truths of who he is. And asking God to increase your faith like the disciples did. That should be our prayer to have a bigger vision, a bigger outlook on who God is, El Shaddai. That's how he is told and how he comes on here on the scene with Abram as God Almighty. And then he gives Abram a brand new name. Secondly, he's preparing you for the future. He's preparing you for the future Now, names in the Bible were much more significant than our names are today. They weren't just a convenient way of calling someone out in in a crowd or having a conversation with somebody. My name actually means, or my name Bradley actually means broad meadow. It's very fitting, right? No, it's actually not. My name really means nothing to who I am. I hate the meadows. I wasn't born there or anything like that. No one would ever name their child that in Hebrew culture. One, because it's not Hebrew, but because also it has no significance. What Hughes tells us is the Bible, someone was bound up in their name. It was the very essence of their being, intertwined with their personality, the events of their birth, and their character. So to have a name changed like Jacob or Paul or Peter was to say that the God Almighty is preparing something for you that you have no idea about. In a sense, your destiny is going to unfold that you had no way of seeing. God is going to work in a mighty way in your life. So God now changes his name from Abram to Abraham, and now we're at the point in this series where we can stop fumbling over, should I say, Abram or Abraham, and we're going to refer to him now as Abraham to the best of my ability. But Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of multitudes that God was going to greatly increase him and he would be the father of many people groups. Now, can you imagine when Abraham wakes up the next morning and they say, good morning, Abraham, what that would have done in his spirit? I mean, he had to have laughed a little bit when they're saying, good morning, father of multitudes. It's like, I have one son. But man, can you imagine, too, every time he heard his name, how his spirit must have soared as he thought and dwelt upon the promises of God and what God is going to bring about. Sarai would also have her name changed. Her name would go from Sarai, which means princess, to Sarah, which means princess but it was an updated version of her name to remind her who she was, that she would have a king and she would bear a son and this long-awaited princess would have kings born from her line. What What is God preparing you for? Do you see your waiting and your trials as a way for God to prepare you? So often, I think we say, if I can just get through this waiting, if I can just get through this trial, let me encourage you this morning, don't look to get through it, but look to grow through it. God has brought this into your life, this waiting, for a specific reason. The greatest most spiritual growth that I ever had was in a time of transition, in a time of where I didn't know what was going on next. But God grew me so much in that waiting as he prepared me for future pastoral ministry. Will it be that God is preparing you to take your story and share it with someone else that's going through the exact same thing? Will it be that you decide to develop godly habits in your life that don't currently exist? You take advantage of this time rather than rather than just trying to get through it. But perhaps, perhaps maybe, God isn't preparing you for something in this life at all, but he's preparing you for a future life. Romans chapter eight tells us when the weight of his glory will crush us. When we see him face to face and all the waiting, all the trials, it'll all make sense and it'll all be worth it. You can be guaranteed he is preparing you for that through everything, but he's also preparing you for things in this life. So don't just look to get through it, look to grow through it. But why Abraham? Why Sarah? There were more fertile people that lived on the earth at that time. Why you? Why why you with all your insecurities, all your shortcomings, all your failures, uh, all your weaknesses? Why me with all those same things? Why does God use the least likely and would seemingly be the most unqualified people? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, Paul says, "God speaking to him, but I, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. That's a crazy thought, right? No one ever boasts in their weaknesses. He says, I'm going to brag about how weak I am so that the power of Christ may rest on me. That's why he uses unqualified people so that people look at your life and go, there's no way they could ever accomplish that in their own strength. God must have done something. Listen, your greatest inefficiency could be God's greatest opportunity to use you. Think about that. The one thing that you can't stand about yourself, the thing that you wish could just change and you could get rid of, God is saying, oh, no, 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 no. I put that there so that my power will be on display in your life, and I'm going to use what you never thought in a great and mighty way. But what else is God doing in your waiting? Look at verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now this is getting a little interesting now, isn't it? This is thirdly, God is calling you to relational holiness. God is calling you to relational holiness God tells Abraham that he is to be circumcised along with every male in his house and every male child that would be born after him. And in verse 11, he tells us this was a sign of the covenant or the promise that God gave to him. God says, I'm committed to you. You are in a relationship with me, and this will be a sign to you that you are my chosen people. Now, covenants often had signs that followed with them. The noetic covenant came with a rainbow, right? The baptism is a sign of the new covenant, which comes along with baptism, right? Marriage Often the sign of marriage is a wedding band or a wedding ring. Now this ring isn't the marriage itself, but it is a sign of the promise that has already been made to the people that are in that marriage. Now circumcision wasn't a common practice at that time. There weren't a lot of people that were practicing it. There were some. The Egyptians, especially the Egyptian priests, would be circumcised. But now this circumcision would have a whole new meaning for Abraham and his covenant people. Just as the rainbow existed before the flood and the cross existed before Jesus, those symbols now took on a powerful meaning that they didn't take on before. And this would be a unique people group that every male would all be circumcised. And this was a reminder that Abraham, that God had made the promises to him. They were a set-apart nation. So circumcision was an outward sign of an inward reality. Set-apart, that's essentially what holiness means. It means that God had always had a plan for his people to live among people that were not his people, but live differently with them. Often we say things like living in the world, but not of it. God's desire has always been to have a people that lived among the world, but were different and set apart from the world. Peter Gentry in his commentary tells us that the land that, the land of Canaan that Abram uh, would inherit was a small piece of land, 30 miles wide and 100 miles long. Egypt to the east, the superpower of Egypt, and Assyria to the west, But due to the desert that surrounded both of those, they would have to travel through the nation of Israel if they wanted to get to Egypt or Assyria. And so as they did, they were to travel through and see this peculiar people, these people that were set apart to God, that worshiped only one God and related to him differently than anyone else and related to each other in a very different way. And this is how the church is to be, in the world, not of the world, relating to God, relating to each other differently and being set apart from the world by living differently. But the problem was, over time, many people started to see the sign of circumcision as salvation itself just as many would say the sign of the new covenant is baptism would say that the actual baptism is what saves you but it doesn't say that's merely the sign of salvation it became to the jewish nation all about outward conformity it didn't really matter what their heart condition was like as long as on the outside they looked okay they thought that the sign was all about the salvation. It'd be kind of like taking a family trip to all the known national landmarks in the United States that are beautiful and only looking at the signs. So you go to Niagara, right? And uh, you, see you come up and you see this beautiful sign. You're like, wow, that is so majestic. And then you hear people say, You like this side, you should go over to Canada and look at their sign. It's just, it's more beautiful. And you get over there like, wow, this is amazing. And you hop in the car and you drive down to Disney World. And you're like, meh, I was expecting a little more from Disney. You know, with all their creativity, their sign just really isn't as great as I thought it would be. But kids, we're going to make the best of it. And then you get in the car and you drive to Grand Canyon. And grandma and grandpa and mom and dad are living there in their, their winter homes. And you all go see it together. And you just see that beautiful sign of the Grand Canyon, and mom is crying, she's in tears, and it's just beautiful and majestic, but you never see the Grand Canyon, just the sign. This is what he's saying. He's saying you're putting all the emphasis on the outward sign and missing what the sign represents. And God would tell them, he would say, listen, I'm going to punish those who don't also have a heart that, repre- that matches what's outside Jeremiah 9.25 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. So mere outward conformity does not please God. Mere outward conformity does not please God. It doesn't matter if the condition of your heart is far from him. Outward conformity will not save you, and it will give you a false sense of holiness. I mean, you look at it and go, look at me. I'm keeping all the rules. I'm doing everything right. But your heart is far from God. You have this false sense, right? And usually the things that you're doing right are things that aren't even found in Scripture. And they're easy for you. And you look at it and go, oh, man, look at me. Look how how godly I am. Or you sit here right now in this room and you think, I'm at church. Come on, look at me, I'm at church. Everything on the outside is looking good, but your heart is full of sin and it's wicked. That's like um, if you own a Ferrari baseball cap, thinking that's the same thing as owning a Ferrari. All right, just because you have it outwardly doesn't mean you actually possess it. See, because holiness always follows a relationship. Holiness always follows a relationship. Abraham was already made right with God through faith. Okay, so his circumcision, his holiness, was a response to the faith that he had already received. And Paul is all about showing this, that actually Abraham was right before God before he ever did anything else. Look at Romans 4.11. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still circumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that the righteous would be counted to them as well. So what is this saying? He's saying that it's supposed to be an outward sign of an inward reality. He wasn't made right with God because of his outward things that he did, but because of his inward things that he believed the promises of God. That's what we've been saying all throughout this whole series. It's that we don't come to salvation in Christ through making promises to God, but we come to salvation through believing the promises that God has made to us And God is calling you to holiness in the waiting. He's calling you to a life that is set apart. Some of us might think, yeah, but life isn't going the way that I desire it to go. God is holding out on me. I look at so many other people and they have in the lives that that I want and I don't have. So therefore, it's okay for me to indulge, to sin and give in to the flesh. If you're living that way, you are believing a prosperity gospel. So often, it's so easy to to say, oh, Joel Osteen, I would never go to his church. He teaches and preaches prosperity. I go to a church that teaches the truth, but yet in our lives, applicationally, we're living out a prosperity gospel, thinking that God owes us something, that I'm gonna be good enough and somehow manipulate God, and if he doesn't do what I want him to do, then I'm just gonna live however I want. Instead, instead, We need to use our waiting to draw near to God and to grow in him so that when he calls us to be used by him, we're already prepared to do so. I bought a shirt at Goodwill the other day. I needed a dry fit for cheap. And I bought an Ankeny Hawks t-shirt. It was from their weightlifting team, which makes sense for me, right? But this is what the slogan said on it. It said, when opportunity presents itself it's too late to prepare. When opportunity presents itself, it's too late to prepare. What is it saying? It's saying, listen, in the waiting, God is preparing you. Draw near to him so when he's ready to use you in a great way, you're already prepared to do so. God is calling each and every Christian out here to holiness, and it's always in light of his mercy. Verse 21 but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So here, Abraham, Abraham is given a timeline. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all who was born in his house, or brought with money in every male among the men of Abram's house, and be, he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those brought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him." Lastly, God is calling you to obedience. Did you see that? Right after he and God had got done talking, he says, that very day, he went and gathered all the men in his house, and he says, we're going to be circumcised. Now, I don't know if he got some physical pushback on this from the men, but I would definitely think that in their hearts and minds, they're like, whoa, Really? And his son, rebellious Ishmael, 13 years old, is kind of like, Dad, are you sure this is from God, right? But he says, this is from God. God Almighty, El Shaddai has showed up, and he says, this is what I am going to do, and we're going to follow him in obedience. He led his household in obedience to God as a response to his faith. Do you see the progression in Abraham's life Do you see his salvation? Look at this. God calls him, not because he was a great guy and had done all kinds of great things. In fact, Joshua tells us that Abraham was a worshiper of idols. So God calls him out of idol worship and makes a promise to him. And then Abraham responds in faith to the promise of God. That's where his salvation happens, when he believes the promises of God. And then because of that, he shows genuine faith by acting in obedience to what God said. Now, it could be really easy for us to get these mixed up, to separate the order, To think that, first of all, I need to get myself to a spot where I'm cleaned up enough that I uh, can be acceptable to God. I'm going to clean my life up enough so that God will say, okay, now you're ready for me to save you, but that's not how it works. God comes into all your mess and all your filth, and he extends you mercy, and he makes you a promise, and you respond in faith. And then the evidence of that faith is that you desire and you start to live in obedience to God. But where is that faith placed? The faith is placed in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Do you know how Matthew, the New Testament, starts out? It says, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham. So Jesus would come. He would be one of the kings, the king of kings that would come from the line of Abraham, the perfectly obedient Jesus Christ. And Galatians 3, 7 to 9 tells us, all who would believe become children of Abraham. We all inherit the promises of Abraham and we're brought into his covenant family. But even more than that, we become sons and daughters of God through faith. Christian, God desires for you to grow in the waiting. That's his desire. And sometimes it can seem really slow. In fact, Peter even says, listen, it's going to feel slow, but God's timing isn't like the world's timing. Even in the world's eyes, it's, it's considered slow, but according to him, it's not. It's his perfect timing. And so hear this this morning. God's timing is perfect. He's never in a hurry. He's never late. He's always on time. So once you trust El Shaddai, trust his timing, and while you wait, grow through it. And enjoy the growth. You know, when Abraham hears that God is going to give a son, through Sarah, what he never expected. Do you know what his response was? He laughed. This is what it says. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. Can you imagine? He, just, he falls down and he says to himself, shall a child be born to me? Could a guy in his, who's almost 100 years old have a son? and a wife really give birth when she's in her 90s. Oh, Lord, this is too good to be true. And he's laughing, thinking about God's goodness in his life. Enjoy the waiting. Keep trusting the promises of God and keep growing. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you. Thank you for the promises that you've made to us. God, I thank you that we don't, make promises to you for salvation but we trust the promises you've made God I pray for those that are here that are wasting their waiting God would you give them a bigger version of yourself because they draw near to you in your word they ask for you to increase their faith grow them Lord I pray for the one that's here that's not being set apart that claims to know you but in the midst of their waiting, they're getting frustrated and they're thinking, God, where are you at? They're giving in to pornography. They're giving in to their anger. They're giving in to their pride, saying, it's okay, I'm gonna gossip it. It doesn't matter. God isn't giving me what I want. God, would you bring that person to repentance? Would they trust you? Would you see that you've called them to be set apart so that they can be prepared to be used by you? To please you with their lives. God, I pray for the one that's in this room. That is trying to clean themselves up to be right with you. God, would you show them that they can't. They simply need to believe. And then you'll bring about obedience in their life when they do. Hey, if that's you this morning. If that prayer that I just prayed and that's you in this room. Would you just place your trust in Jesus today? Would you just give up and say, I can't do it on my own, and I need Jesus to do it for me? Trust his promise that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Have the relationship that he showed up with Abraham and gave to him, and have your sins forgiven. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.